be thankful for those who gave their lives for the freedom and the prosperity that we enjoy today. I know if you're like me, there are some things that are happening in our country that are concerning. Uh, crime, both here in Birmingham and in other major cities, and just a lot that's going on. I'm not here to comment on all that this morning. But I still believe this is a great country, and it's a country that honors God. And it's a country that honors God with the increase and I've said this before, it's somewhere around eight out of every ten dollars that goes to build the kingdom around the world comes from the United States of America. And it's very easy to talk about all the things that we've done wrong in the past and are going wrong now, but there's still a whole lot of things that are right about this nation. Amen. The Bible instructs us to pray for our leaders, and I pray that you're doing that. We need to do that. And I believe that God's hands upon this country and that he's not finished with us. Amen? Amen. All right. This morning, uh, I'm going to continue our study on being able to see things the way Father God created us to see them. I remember as a child, my first trip up on the roof with my dad. I don't know exactly how old I was and if I remember correctly, he was going to adjust the television antenna that was attached to the chimney. And for this younger generation, no, that's not the same as a satellite dish, but it is similar to that, okay? And, um, and so I was very excited. It's kind of a you know, rite of passage. This was something that Matthew had already been able to do because he was older than me. And I remember up on the peak of the, of the roof, how much differently things looked than they did from the ground. Amen. And one thing in particular stood out to me. We lived in, the, in those days in the North Highland section of Hueytown, and we would take the back roads through McNeil to the Sears at Westlake Mall. Amen. I didn't say Western Hills Mall. I said Westlake Mall. That mall is still standing, but it's been closed for many years now. And as we would take that back way, we would pass this odd-looking building. And I know now that the shape of that building was, I think, a Kwanzaa hut. It was one of those buildings that was kind of like a half circle that, that went like this. And I always thought that was such a, a unique building. If I remember correctly, my mother, when she was younger, she actually worked there before she had children. And in my young mind, that building was half a world away from our house. But on the peak of our roof, I could see it. And that just really amazed me. It, 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 it stuck with me. Um, even to this day, they have torn that old building down and built a new one. Um, I, uh, I recently uh, drove past it going to your uh, brother's uh, graveside service, Don. And it just kind of brought it all back to me. You know, the building that used to be there and that amazing revelation moment when I realized just how close that building was compared to how far away I thought it was. Now, I share that story with you because I think that is a great way of us understanding how much clearer we can see things when we look at them from God's perspective. How differently things look when we look at them from God's perspective. 
and even I think this is a, a relevant connection as well. Sometimes when we try to see things, the things of God from a worldly perspective, they seem so distant, they seem so far away. But when we see them from God's perspective, we realize that they are actually very near and very close. There are a lot of things that are very near and very close that you will never realize how close they are looking at them from the world's perspective. Like the soon return of Jesus is a classic example. Remember what Jesus preached and John the Baptist before him and the 12 disciples and then the 70 missionaries. It said, repent for the kingdom of heaven, what is at hand? Meaning the kingdom of God that used to be three heavens away and hard to access and hard to receive from was now right here present on the earth. In other words, it was so close. For something to be at hand, that means it's close enough for you to reach out and take it. Amen. But if you continue to look at that through the eyes of religion, through the, through the eyes of this world, in other words, from the wrong perspective, you would still be responding to God's kingdom as if it was three heavens away instead of close enough for you to reach out and receive it. There are so many things that people long for and desire and need and um, you know, things of, of change in our lives Peace, joy, all, all of these, you know, healing, we, just, we just go on and on. That if we're not careful looking at it from the world's perspective, it'll seem so impossible, it'll seem so distant, it'll seem so far away. But if we'll let the Holy Spirit help us see it from God's perspective, you'll realize that it's not far away at all. It's as close as your outstretched hand. And so one of the things that we've said over and over in this Um, series, we're going to say it again this morning, is that you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. We are certainly here on assignment as the body of Christ in the earth, ambassadors for our homeland, our Father's kingdom, to continue the ministry platform of Jesus, His hands and feet, His voice in the earth, the voice of God's Word in the earth going into all the world and preaching the gospel to every creature. I mean, I could go on and on with the verses that, you know, reveal these truths to us. But our ability to effectively accomplish our assignment hinges upon our ability to see this world through a lens of heaven, a lens of compassion, a lens of truth, a lens of power. Amen as opposed to how many people look at this world, even God's people, they look at this world through a lens that comes from this world. Now, brief review, the way we look at things determines how we experience them. And early in our study, we said a child does not look at things the way adults do. A child has a different perspective on the world than an adult. And we could, you know, debate back and forth on, on what that actually means as it's applied to our Christian walk. I think we could make a case for, for both. Jesus said you have to become as a, as a child to enter um, the kingdom and, and to, to receive. But then we also see the epistles talk a lot about us becoming mature adults. Paul said that there was a day when he spoke like a child because he understood like a child because he thought like a child but when he became a man he put away childish things so 
when you consider that a child sees the world differently than an, than an adult, we also see then that that translates to a child experiencing the world differently than an adult. So how we view things, how we see things, how we look at things determines how we experience them, but it also determines how we respond, how we respond. And that, that is so critically important because we know that it's only when we respond to God Amen. He has done all of these wonderful things for us, but he didn't just do them for us. He did them for the whole world. And so preaching the gospel is giving men and women an opportunity to respond to what God has already done for them and freely given to them. Amen. But in the same way, your heavenly Father, through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and others that he uses as instruments, is trying to to draw you into a right response to Him, we see that God's enemy, and therefore by default your enemy, is also trying to get you to respond to Him. He's trying to get you to and manipulate you and to trick you and deceive you into responding in ways that would be against God, also known as sin, but things that would carry you further and further away from the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life. Now, I want to talk to you this morning a little more about reasoning within yourself or reasoning among yourselves. And we see this, uh, actually that phrase is used quite frequently in the Gospels where people reasoned among themselves or reasoned within themselves as it related to something Jesus said or something that Jesus did. For example, when they let the young man through the roof who needed healing, and before Jesus healed him, he forgave him of his sins. And if you understand the backstory of what was happening that day, Jesus was in a house that was filled with religious leaders and the Bible says that the power of God was present to heal them, the ones who were present. And the ones who were present were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the the doctors of the law. Um, Isn't it amazing that that our Heavenly Father had a, a specific, we would call it a service, an opportunity that was designed to specifically benefit and minister uh, to that group of people. He wanted them to, to experience. Amen. But of course, we have no record of any of them receiving healing. But what we do see is that they were preventing folks who did want to come to Jesus from getting to him. And that's what religion often does. It, it, it makes it very difficult and challenging for the, the real seeker who wants to know Jesus and, 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 and walk with him to actually get to him and experience him. That was what was going on with the money changers and the, and, the, and the side hustles that were taking place there in the temple. And why Jesus became so angry about it and turned over their tables and let loose the, the sacrifices that they were selling, uh, money changers. They were making it very difficult for the, the people who would travel to, to worship God for them to actually get to, to have that experience and to have uh, that opportunity. But they let 
this young man, or this man, I don't know how old he was, he you know, comes through the, the roof. If you haven't seen that episode of The Chosen, to me it, and I don't know if that's exactly how it happened, but it, 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 it did something for me to visualize uh, how um, they chose to portray that uh, in that uh, episode about Jesus' life. But when Jesus forgave the man of his sins, the Bible says that the religious leaders who were present because the power of God was present to heal them, that they reasoned among themselves. In other words, this, it was almost like, who does this man think he is? Blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, so which is harder? I'm sorry, no, he didn't. He said, which is easier? Because they're both easy for God. Which is easier? Say your sins are forgiven or to say take up your bed and walk? But so that you will know that the Son of Man has the, the authority to forgive sins in the earth, he told the man to take up his bed and walk. He healed him. So this practice of people reasoning among themselves is mentioned many different places in the Gospels. And I think rightfully so, because this is something that we all do on a daily basis. This is something that we do every day throughout our lives we reason, we, we process, we consider, we, we have decisions to make, we, we, we trying to figure out the best way forward or what have you in small things, little things, in between things. Amen? I got the right bunch this morning? Okay. So all of these things then are applicable to our daily lives. In other words, it, it would be different if Reasoning among themselves was only something that they did back in the Bible times, but something we have somehow progressed beyond. In an information age, reasoning among yourselves and leaving God out of the conversation has never been more dangerous. I'm going to say that again. In an information age, reasoning among yourselves, which also means leaving God out of the conversation, has never been more dangerous. Now, one of the points that we've focused in on here of late involves the strategy that the devil wants to use against us. And in Matthew the 6th chapter, Jesus is revealing to us what I call basic life understanding. And he's explaining to us that if our eye is single, our whole body will be full of light. But if our focus or our eye is divided, our body will be full of darkness. And he said, if you're if if the darkness that is in, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is the darkness? And this all, of course, goes back to the lens that we live through, the, the way that we see things. And remember, the way that you see them determines the way that you experience them and the way that you respond. And few things, if any, have more impact on your daily life reality than the way you see things and the way you respond to the things that are happening in your life. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself, trans, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. This means the devil comes on the scene offering light on the subject at hand. Remember now, light is the ability to see. So the devil doesn't come with a pitchfork and a red suit with horns on his head or 
you know, some monster that Hollywood has tried to portray him out to be. But instead, he shows up as an angel offering to you and me a new way of looking at things. Offering to you and me a new way of looking at things. And this is exactly what he did in Genesis, the third chapter, when he came to Eve. And I want to read this, um, what is it, about six verses, less seven verses. Let's, let's look at that again. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, and he ate with her. And then the Bible goes on to say, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves coverings. Now, there are a few things here that I'm wanting to stitch together this morning from the Scriptures, connect together from the Scriptures. Eve made the mistake of trying to reason with Satan. This is is where every effort the devil uses against us begins. Again, he shows up as an angel of light offering to you and me a new way or a different way of looking at things. Because the devil knows what we need to understand and need to understand quickly is that if he can ever get you to see it differently than the way God sees it, he's won. If he can ever get you to look at it somehow differently, somehow not the same as the way God said it is, then he knows that he has you. So Eve made the mistake of trying to reason with Satan. We see that he clearly drew Eve's focus to the forbidden tree. Now, verse 1 in the English Standard Version says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. And Satan knew that that wasn't what God said. But he's asking her that question because he's trying to draw her into a reasoning conversation. He's trying to draw her in. So he drew her focus to the forbidden tree. There were all kinds of trees for her to focus on, but by asking this question, he brought this particular tree into view, into focus. Once he had her focus on the forbidden tree, then the fruit on the tree. And he did this by making false statements, right? He made false statements in an effort to entice her into a conversation. Now, I'm not trying to get too deep into this and certainly not trying to get into the weeds here, but just stay with me for a moment. Because the the better we understand this, 
And the better we're able to, to recognize the, the Bible, let me back up. This is scripture on this. Do not be ignorant of the devil's devices, lest he gain an advantage over you. So here's the law first mentioned. This is, this is the first recorded effort that we have, successful effort that we have of, of, of Satan tempting a human being and, and how all this went down. And it's the same pattern. We took a considerable amount of time last week to look at what we see in 1 John. We're enticed by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We see that Satan used those, that trifecta, those three uh, pronged attack against Eve. And of course we see that, that she failed. And then he used the same three pronged attack against Jesus. And of course he did not fail. He succeeded. He tried to show him things. He tried to, you know, the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eyes, the pride of life, taking his own life into his own hands. So I don't think I'm stretching this to say that when he made the statement, has God really said you can't eat fruit from any of these trees, that he was banking on her correcting him. Do you understand what I mean by that? He, he was banking on her saying to him, oh, oh no, 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 that's not, that's not what God said. This is, this is what God said, right? Because notice he's trying to draw her in to reasoning with him. But if he's ever going to be able to draw her into reasoning with him, he's got to draw her away from reasoning with God and draw her away from reasoning with Adam, I'm a little bit ahead of myself, but let me, let me, while I'm here, let me just go ahead and say this, all right? When, when we reason, in other words, we're, we're trying to understand something that we're not clear on. We need to reason first and foremost with God and the Holy Spirit. We need to ask Him. But then we also see that God has put other people in our lives to help us. Amen. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with asking those people as long as they're people that, that what they say lines up with what God said. Are you with me? I'm sure you can relate to this, so don't overthink it. Anybody in this room ever had another human being tell you something that came from God that was life-giving and life-changing? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the strategy then of Satan is to, first of all, get her attention and focus on the tree and then once he had her attention and focus on the tree he shifts it easily then to the fruit on the tree but the whole time what he's really trying to do is get her focus on him and get her listening to him while at the same time excluding all those others now watch this what what if adam what if eve had said hmm this, this doesn't sound right. I've never heard this before. Adam, Adam, he just said that if I eat this fruit, that we'll be like God. And then hopefully Adam would have said something like this. No, sweetie pie. We're already like God. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit showed me this some years ago. Because it's very easy for us to 
focused the blame on Eve, just like Adam focused the blame on Eve. Okay? But I believe the major mistake here is one that has been repeated ever since the Garden of Eden. And that is man, priest of the household, the priest, the leader, is very careful to explain the rules, but tends to neglect focusing on the identity. And this is what has happened for so many generations amongst God's people. They come to church, the servant leader stands up in front of them and delivers some 30 to 45 minute sermon on the rules and what the rules are and how we need to obey the rules and what will happen to us if we do obey the rules and what will happen to us if we don't obey the rules, the consequences of breaking the rules and then you know, we'll bring people up to give testimony who've broken the rules and all the bad things that happened to them. And we call that a testimony, right? And, and just on and on and on and on and on. But never get around to telling somebody who they are in Christ. See, we tell people to live opposite to their identity. When we, when we tell them you're just a sinner, now go try to be good. And I believe this was the critical mistake that Adam made. He knew that he was made in the image and likeness of God, just like he knew that you can't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I believe that he told, you can disagree with me, and if I'm going to get to heaven, I'm wrong, I'll apologize to God and you, but I don't believe I am. I believe the mistake that he made was he made sure Eve knew the rules, but he never told her who she was. Because that was what the devil exploited. If you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. She was made in the image and likeness of God, Why did she not say, oh no, I'm already like God. I was made in the image and likeness of God. She could quote the rule that fast. Are you seeing this? That fast she could say, no, man, you touch it, you'll die. Oh no, you won't won't die. Let me me tell you what God knows. Now that's, that right there, when she listened, because now what's fixing to happen? She's fixing to let the devil tell her something about God that she's never heard before. Somewhere in my notes, I'm kind of getting away from the notes, and that's all right. Here it is. Never, I put this in all caps, never, ever, never let the devil tell you something you did not previously know about God. Never, ever, never, all caps, let the devil tell you something that you did not previously know about God. Notice, notice what he's doing. He was, again, see, this is what he was trying to do with Jesus. He was, trying to in, he was trying to draw Jesus into reasoning with him, reasoning within himself, and then reasoning with Satan. Let, let me, I know this, if this is getting a little too far-fetched for you, just stay with me, okay? We'll come back to a little more solid ground here in just a moment. But I'm trying to help you. Maybe it's, um, what's Latin uh, for using something absurd to make the point, okay? Um, I believe Satan was hoping to entice Jesus into reasoning with him also, but Jesus did not take the bait. In other words, I think Lucifer, Satan was hoping, Satan was hoping that Jesus would say something like this, Now, Lucifer... You know I can't bow down to you. I mean, 
This plan was made eons ago, and I agreed to it eons ago. What you're saying here is never going to happen. See, that's all, that's all the devil wanted to accomplish with his first salvo. Because then he's going to respond with something else. But Jesus, those nails, man. Come on now. You, do you have any idea how bad that's going to hurt? Do you, do you have, see, just one little incremental step at a time, away from what his father said, listening to. I'm sure at some point he would say, well, listen, what you don't know about all this, Jesus, is when you die on that cross, your father's going to leave your soul in hell. He, he hasn't told you the whole story because he was afraid that if he told you the whole story, you wouldn't go through with it. You say, Pastor Mark, I don't believe that ever happened. I, I'm not saying that it did or it didn't, but I am trying to show you how not ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't make the mistake of reasoning with him. So when he says, when Satan says to Eve, for God knows, this is where he set the hook. This is when she began to look at the fruit differently. This is where she began to think about it differently. Now, you say, how do we know she reasoned within herself well, one, because she came to a conclusion and committed an action, took action. Have you noticed, though, that she never spoke again? She never, she never said any, you know, boy, at first she's just shooting right back. Oh, no, you touch that, you'll die. That's, a, that's no. Oh, no, no, God knows. God knows. And all of a sudden she starts to think, right? She starts to what? She starts to reason amongst herself, and gradually she sees the fruit differently than God originally explained to her and how he, let me say it this way, how God told her to see it and to look at it. You still with me? Yes? All right, can you stay in here just a few more minutes? Let me, um, of course, where we're getting this from, and I, I want to mark eight, let me just real quick, I won't read all uh, eight verses here. Let's just go um, 14, 15, and 16. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. Now, when it says they reasoned among themselves... What, what are they actually reasoning among themselves for? In other words, what, is the, what is the purpose of their internal reasoning? They're trying to make sense of what Jesus just said to them. He made a statement. He made a statement, right? Why was Jesus making the statement? He was making the statement because He was trying to draw them into a conversation with himself. He made the statement because he's wanting to reveal some things to them that they did not understand. He's wanting to show them some things that they had not yet realized or seen for themselves, an angle that they had not considered that they needed to be aware of, right? And so he begins by, um, you know, making the, this statement. 
and they go to reasoning among themselves. And I, I know this may be stating the obvious, but Jesus is sitting right there in the boat with them. But they don't ask him. Can I tell you what I think it was? And we see elements of this with Eve as well. Subtle, but it's there. Okay? They didn't want to go, this may sound like a dumb question, Jesus, but why do we, and I've been guilty of that, let's not ever be guilty of it again, right? Why do we say, this may sound like a dumb question? It's because we're afraid that we're going to look ignorant in front of the rest of the, of the class, Right? The devil's sitting there, or our self-consciousness, whatever's sitting there. You know, we got a question, really want to understand whatever it is that the teacher's talking about. But we're afraid to ask the question because we think, you know, 38 people in the class and 37 of them know exactly what the teacher's talking about and I'm the only one. So notice now, that's pride, right? I don't want to look dumb. I don't want to look like I'm the person. And, you know, we... So we just sit there and nod, yes, amen, brother, praise God. I have no idea what you're saying, but yes, amen, <laughs> praise God. And then we just go reason among ourselves. So Jesus is sitting right there, but they don't want to be vulnerable in front of Jesus. They don't want to humble themselves, right? If you lack wisdom, ask of God, and He gives to all liberally, and He's no respecter of persons. But in order to, to ask God for wisdom, you've got to humble yourself and recognize that He knows things you don't know. So Jesus is right there in the boat, but they chose to reason among themselves instead of taking their questions, and even at that point, we could even say confusion, um, to him. Now, Isaiah 1.18, and I know that you know this, all right, but the Scriptures say, come now, this is God speaking to us, come now and let us reason together. Let us reason together. This word reason in the, um, in the New Testament, it, it obviously carries the same meanings, in similar meanings in Hebrew and same similar meanings in English. It, it has to do with consideration. It has to do with conversation. It, it even has to do, watch this now, with debate and dispute. And dispute. And you think, wait a second, we don't, want to be, we don't want to be disputing God. You're absolutely right, we don't want to be disputing God. We do want to be disputing the devil. Notice, when Eve started, she disputed what, she disputed what the devil said. Now hear me, hear me please. I, I, I know there's, we use this expression a lot on Wednesday evenings. It's one thing to roll the middle of the wall, but it's another thing now to take the time with a paintbrush and... And, and cut it in, right? The devil's efforts towards getting you to reason with him will often begin with, with disputing. Are you see what I'm saying? In other words, if he can get you to dispute with him, he's one step closer to getting you to reason with him. Because part of reasoning is disputing. Jesus wasn't arguing with the devil when he stomped a mud hole in him three times with the word of God. Remember what we said last week. 
Jesus quoting the word to Satan was him stating the position of truth through which he was viewing this whole situation. It wasn't about arguing with the devil. It wasn't about tit for tat. It wasn't about, oh, you got a Bible verse? I got a Bible verse. Now, clearly that's what the devil was trying to do. But Jesus wasn't reasoning with him. You do realize that we can make a statement, but the inflection in our voice is really not a statement, it's a question. You really need to go to church. You really need to go to church? See the difference? Said the same thing, it's just different. It's a different attitude, right? It's a different heart. Satan's trying to get you to the, did, did God really say that? Frame of mind, attitude. And he'll reason with you about these things as long as you will reason with him. Jesus didn't reason with him. He shut him down. To the point that, and what do we know about this later in the epistles? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. So every time Jesus was making a statement, it wasn't to argue with the devil. He was audibly speaking out of his mouth, his submission to God, his resistance of the enemy. And what did the Bible say after those three runs that Satan made at Jesus? That he left him for a season. He left him for a season. It is not called the sword of the Spirit for no reason. That's a double negative, but you got the point right. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If Satan runs up on that sword enough times, he'll leave you alone for a while. But if he ever hears that inflection in your voice, that little crack of doubt, that little questioning, he's going he's to try to wedge it in there with another question when we reason among ourselves or when we reason within ourselves we open ourselves up to spiritual influence now this can work for you with the holy spirit or it can work against you with lying deceiving demonic spirits this is why meditation is powerful and can be a force for good or bad in our lives. When you're having that internal conversation with yourself, you need to look and see who else is participating. Because Satan loves to put thoughts in your mind and convince you that they are your own. Now, in the days ahead, we're going to talk about overcoming darkness. And Father has a very strategic plan and when I say overcoming darkness, we've got to understand what that looks like as a three-dimensional being. Remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Okay? 
So the Bible says that Jesus came to rescue people who were sitting in darkness and walking in darkness. How's he going to do that? Fuss at them? Threaten them with eternity in hell if they don't change their ways? No, because our problem went much deeper than our behavior, our body. We've got to change our thinking, right, Pastor Mark? Because if he can change our thinking, then he can change how we behave. Yes, but our problems with darkness even went much deeper than our thinking, our soul. See, the Bible says before a man or a woman is born again that they are darkness. So when you were born again, you were darkness, but now that you've been born again of a different seed, you are now light. Positionally, your identity now, your nature, all of that is light. But the renewing of the mind, you know, again, all kind of verses. I'm, I'm just trying to give you a little overview of where we're headed. The renewing of the mind is, is a progressive work. And we see that you can be light but still think like darkness and still walk in darkness even though you are light in the Lord. That's why he says you were once darkness but now you're light in the Lord, period. Walk as children of light. That's Ephesians 5 and 8. Walk in the light as he is in the light. I mean, all these different verses about walking in the light that we often have preached to us or at us, right? Without ever really understanding what's involved in becoming light, having our understanding that was previously darkened to be enlightened by a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God so that we can then walk in the light. So it's a, it's, it's a, you're a three-dimensional being and overcoming darkness then requires a three-pronged approach and God has that for us. We see it in the scriptures. And I think when we start looking at it in light of spirit, soul, and body, some of these verses that previously seemed out of reach for us will make perfect sense. Right, But here, here's the last thing I'll say and we'll pray. You cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deception. Now, I don't want to make anybody mad. I don't want to offend anybody. Listen to me. Speak the word. Speak the name of Jesus. Plead the blood. All of those things. I believe in those things. Do those things. Are you hearing me? Some of you uh, may know this. John Mark and Gina got on an airplane yesterday. He said, Dad, I've been flying backwards in time all day. Um, they went to see uh, Gina's uh, dad and stepmother in Alaska. And so they're in Alaska this morning, praise God. And so obviously, you know, plead the blood of Jesus over their travels, pray for them. Do that. If you think I'm saying don't do that, you're not hearing what I'm saying. But the devil will tolerate you doing that as long as he can still keep you confused with lies and deception. Are you? See, ultimately we're talking about walking in faith, but you can't walk in faith and double-mindedness at the same time. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But if, if, if Satan can keep you, you know, double vision, double-mindedness, if your eye be bad, that means seeing double, distorted, 
It's going to make it very difficult, if not impossible, for you to walk in faith. And walking in faith is how what? we overcome the enemy. Amen? It's no coincidence that the opposite of walking in faith is what? Walking by sight. How things look, seem, and feel. Amen. All right, stand with me this morning. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here. I want to pray for you, if I could, before uh, we go our separate ways this morning. Father, thank you for these beautiful men and women. Lord, thank you for our precious children, Lord, for our young adults. Thank you for our senior adults, Lord, everybody else in between, Father. Lord, you, you, you are a, a, a God of, of nations and generations. And Lord, I thank you for all the different generations here at Heritage. I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. I thank you, Father, that, that, that you are helping each one of us as individuals as well as all of us as a body of believers to grow up into Jesus in all things. And Father, I thank you that the significant shift that you spoke over this congregation back the first of this year, Lord, focuses on our seeing things as you see them. That we not look at this world the way this world looks at this world or with a vision or or a lens, Lord, that came from this world. But Father, that we climb up on your proverbial roof, Father, and that we see things from your perspective. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Thank you for being so patient and kind with us, Lord. Thank you for always believing the best about us, never giving up on us. Thank you for for helping us, Lord, see and helping us become aware of when we're reasoning with the deceiver and the liar instead of with the truth and with you. We thank you for your love and your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. You have a great uh, rest of your day. Hopefully some of you, if not all of you, will have a little time off tomorrow. Enjoy that. Be safe, be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.